his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Really, in order to find quality care, you often have to be on a wait list that's months long. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. The aggressive advocates who were looking to overrule Roe for so long, they really had no idea of the consequences they might be opening up. In this case, there very well may be charges that are appropriate. For example, trying to obstruct an official proceeding of Congress, right? That is unlawful. This is KCBS In-Depth. In 2022, a report by the Stanford Lancet Commission stated that the opioid crisis stands out as one of the most devastating public health disasters of the 21st century in the United States and Canada. Not much has occurred since then to shift that belief. The opioid crisis involving fentanyl in particular continues to dominate our conversations. The end of 2023 saw over 750 drug overdose deaths in San Francisco alone, with fentanyl making up more than 81% of those deaths. So how did we get here? How did fentanyl take over the drug market and become so devastating to so many? Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, broadcasting throughout the Bay Area and streaming on the Odyssey app. I'm Mary Hughes. For a closer look at all this, I'm joined by Sam Quinones, freelance journalist and author of books about the opioid epidemic. His most recent book is The Least of Us, True Tales of America and Hope in the Time of Fentanyl and Meth. Uh, Sam, I want to thank you so much for joining me on In-Depth for this conversation. Thank you. My pleasure, Mary. Thanks for having me. I think when a lot of people are thinking about fentanyl, to them, it seems like a new drug that's taking over all conversations about addiction, about overdoses, and it can seem to to people like this crisis kind of came out of nowhere, but there's always a longer history to these things. Um, and from all the investigative journalism work that you've done in this area and in this arena, what's been the path? of fentanyl. How did this drug get its beginnings? Well, I mean, people people are right that this uh, it, it is dominating the conversation nationwide in the United States about uh, drug addiction and drug smuggling out of Mexico. Uh, fentanyl is actually uh, been around for decades. Uh, it's a magnificent drug when used surgically. 
It is uh, used in cardiac surgery. I've had it myself. I had a heart attack in 2017. They gave me fentanyl. And um, it's been a workhorse. It's allowed for the kinds of surgeries that never would have been able to be done with other forms of, of anesthetics. It's a magnificent anesthetic. And um, one reason for that is because it takes you in and out of anesthesia very quickly. So you're not doped up for hours as you would be on 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 morphine. There are other benefits to it, but it's become a workhorse drug for for decades uh, now. Uh, it became uh, it grew to be noticed by the the traffic drug trafficking underworld out of Mexico uh, in the mid 2000s uh, as they were beginning to supply what was then we've called the opioid epidemic. Uh, which people getting addicted to heroin, but starting first with oh, the massive supplies of, of prescription painkillers unleashed by pharma companies and doctors on on the country, the the Mexican trafficking world began to supply heroin to to meet that need. Those 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 drugs, those opioids, are chemical cousins to heroin, and and so people began to get addicted to the pills, then switched to heroin. Some subset of those folks did. Along the way, the Mexican trafficking world discovered that there was such a thing as what they used to call synthetic heroin, heroin made only from chemicals, no plants involved. This was what they used to call fentanyl. Um, and so, and they figured this out in 2006. And then the least of us had tell the story of the, the first chemist who kind of clued them in uh, that they hired actually to make a precursor drugs to, to methamphetamine. Uh, he decides in, instead to make fentanyl. They know, know what fentanyl is. They get mad, but he explains them. This is the most profitable underworld drug that has ever been invented. And you'll thank me. And in fact, um, they they did. Um, they began to figure out fentanyl was was this uh, just monumentally profitable then. And as time went on over the next 10 years, more um, up to the present, um, the trafficking world in Mexico has gradually figured out and now very completely figured out that fentanyl is a much better uh, uh, alternative than than heroin. You don't have to grow any poppies. You make it only from chemicals. They control the shipping ports on the western side of Mexico, plus the Mexico City airport to the extent they need to, to get almost unlimited quantities of the precursors to come from, uh, from coming from China to make fentanyl, also to make methamphetamine, it's worth noting. And so what you've been seeing is that the Mexican trafficking world took over really from the Chinese chemical companies, which were the first to begin to supply fentanyl, but they were supplying in such small quantities um, that uh, because they were mailing it through the, through the, through the mail, they never really covered more than, than the first initial states that began the, the opioid epidemic, which would be you know Ohio, Kentucky, West Virginia, Tennessee, places like that, Indiana. It was only when the Mexicans figured it out and began getting these staggering quantities of precursor chemicals that allowed them to make fentanyl in the quantities that we're now seeing that they began that they spread fentanyl coast to coast. So now you were seeing fentanyl and again, methamphetamine, uh, uh, I think it's worth noting, um, coast to coast. You're seeing it in Maine. You're seeing it in Skid Row, LA. You're seeing it up and down. You're all, all over San Francisco, of course. Um, many places, um, and mo virtually every place in the country uh, has some uh, fentanyl supply. But this all began um, with the Mexican trafficking world trying to supply heroin to what was then our burgeoning 
uh, opioid addic addict market, which would then, which was created, in fact, by this overprescribing of those those pain pills going back to the mid 90s. Well, that's a, one of your earlier books was focused on the the opioid side of things from that prescription uh, side of the world. Um, was that your first kind of foray into looking at how our how our world is? Uh, I, I I guess becoming addicted to this particular type of drug was that your first delving into that? Yeah, and and it grew really. Uh, from uh, living in Mexico for 10, I lived in Mexico for 10 years, came back, got a job at the LA Times. And at the LA Times, we saw the drug war in Mexico just explode among, among the different cartels um, that were uh, that were in, in place then. And um, uh, so I was put on a team to cover that war as it got more and more sadistic, more and more brutal. Um, I began to realize that there was this new burgeoning heroin market which I could not explain. Why would we have more people using heroin? I thought heroin was the drug from the past. We'll go back to it. And along the way, I, I began to write about in, in my book, Dreamland, one of the, the, the story threads in the book, Dreamland, was about a town in Mexico where everybody came here to sell heroin, in fact, very much like pizza delivery, you know, like the retail pizza delivery. I'll sell you a tenth of a gram, you call up, I'll go meet you and sell you a bunch of uh, tenth of a gram doses of heroin. Along the way, though, I, I could, initially I could not explain why that was happening. And then I realized that I, I was really dealing with the very small story. The much, much larger story was the story of how uh, the opioid epidemic it began, meaning uh, drug companies pushing the idea that doctors now needed to prescribe opioid prescription painkillers, legitimate pain pills, but with uh, an alarming new aggress aggressivity, let's say, just really relentlessly and refills. And, and this began in the mid-1990s on the idea that science somehow now knew that these drugs could not be addicted, addictive to people who were in, in pain. And that was proven to be uh, really quite untrue. Um, and so I did not understand this. Uh, at the time, I was living in Mexico. I did not know what an Oxycontin was or a Vicodin was. And it was only as I began to fill in that part of the story, which I had missed because I was in Mexico, that I understood why we had this burgeoning heroin market and that heroin uh, traffickers out of Mexico could now be doing banner business. Well, I am always um, interested in the trajectory of things, how how something gets to what we, you know, the common person is aware and knows what's going on and hears about it all the time, but how did we get there? And one point that you mentioned uh, so far that I, I don't think I had thought of really is the fact that a big part of that change was coming from how this, how these drugs can be produced, how they yes. can be created. Um, because if you don't need land, if you don't need all of that, that streamlines your market. Absolutely, you reduce your supply chain. You don't need irrigate. You don't need rain or sunlight. Uh, what you do need is access to chemical precursors. And and if you control the ports, as they do to the extent they need to to import, really just it's just remarkable the quantities of these of these precursor chemicals, both for fentanyl and for methamphetamine that the Mexicans are able to get through um, from from Chinese um, supplier uh, companies. What that means is that you can make these drugs. There are no seasons anymore with 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 chemi with uh, uh, synthetic drugs. 
And so you can make these drugs like all year round, you know, all day long, you know, all week long. And, and, and if you have the chemicals for it, and that's exactly what's been happening. And so now we see, because of this ability to make things all year round, we are seeing things we've never seen before. For example, we are now seeing no difference, almost no difference in drug stories, uh, region to region. It used to be, you go from one place to another, two, 300 miles away, and there'd be very different drug uh, stories, though that's gone. Used to be that we had um, cycles of drug use in America. It used to be we'd have stimulants and then depressants and then stimulants again. And it'd be, like, they'd last like 10 years, 12 years, whatever. Now that's completely done. A, a stimulant and a depressant, methamphetamine and fentanyl are now being made by the same people, sold to other people. Those people are selling it to other people and it's being used by people all across the country. And so now coroners are very commonly finding meth and fentanyl in the same bloodstream. It used to be when I started out as a, as a crime reporter in Stockton, California, there were meth users and there were heroin users and they did not mix. In fact, they kind of disliked each other for their choice of drugs and that kind of thing. All of that has been changed uh, as well, largely because this is a supply question, simply supply creating demand and the supply has been unrelentless. It's not a new wave of drug I, uh, of drugs. I, I liken it to kind of a new high tide uh, of drugs. In-depth will return after a moment. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. A conversation that I had um, last year with someone, with a, a doctor, was about the, the overdose side of things when it comes to fentanyl and, you know, the type of outreach that they're doing to communities and to the unhoused community to try to reach people with information. Um, and we did talk a little bit about how fentanyl is being mixed into other drugs and whether a person's aware of it or not, they could be taking something that has fentanyl in it and and the effects that it has on the body and that got me thinking a lot about the addictive aspects of fentanyl of the powerfulness of this drug how does it compare to other hard drugs that in the past we might have said oh this is 
this is the drug you need to be, you know, uh, scared of using or if well, it, you come into contact with. I would say that fentanyl, because of how quickly it gets to the brain, again, it's, it, t it takes you in an, into, into anesthesia and out of it. it. The same thing happens with its use illicitly. And so it gets you very, very quickly. And then it takes gets out of there very quickly, too, which means that you are constantly having cravings, particularly as the supply is so vast, your tolerance rises and rises and rises to levels never seen with heroin. That's why there's very little heroin on the streets of America anymore, because it doesn't fill the gap. It doesn't you know, do what, what an addict needs to have done, which is get rid of the, the withdrawal symptoms. Once you're addicted to fentanyl, you're at a whole level, level other level of, 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 of tolerance. And of course, all this has to do with the fact that it is just simply so prevalent. There's so much supply coming in out of Mexico, creating these new levels of tolerance. You know, now that now they're mixing fentanyl, and it's been several years now, where they've been mixing fentanyl into counterfeit pills that look like a Xanax bar or Percocet or Vicodin or what have you, you know. And um, these pills are coming in now in the tens of millions, which shows you kind of the supply that's available to the traffickers down, down, down in Mexico. And what's also happening is the tolerances are just staggering now. So in Tucson, it's in Tucson a while back, and in Tucson there's there, you know, they're routinely. Uh, uh, addicts coming into clinics who are smoking 50 to 70 to 80 pills a day, you know? Um, and, and so it's, it's, it, it creates um, uh, addiction, but then it very quickly takes you up to very high levels of addiction. And, and that is one of the terrors. That's why so many people, I believe, refuse treatment on the streets or offered treatment. Drug treatment. No, this woman said something very important, I think, uh, at, a, at a conference I was, I was at, and we were talking, and she said, my, my client, she's a drug counselor, and she said, my clients are afraid of two things. Number one, they're afraid of dying on fentanyl. Number two, they are terrified of being away from fentanyl because the, the, the withdrawals are so brutal. And in fact, you actually need now, um, I believe, um, medical supervision to withdraw withdraw from from fentanyl and um uh, but but the it's a whole it's it's is it's the same kind of addiction that you would get from heroin and, and other opioids except for that the the supplies are so vast and the drug is just so potent it hits your brain so much quicker and so all of this means that it's a whole other kind of level too of addiction that we are seeing and because it's so prevalent we're seeing this you know, nationwide, as I have contacts in Maine who are talking about the fentanyl problem over there, you know, that kind of thing. So um, this is, again, this is something that, that we've never seen before, really. And I think it, a lot of it is just connected exactly up to the the fact that, that, these, that the supply of this stuff is just so, so vast. Well, and, and that does bring me uh, to, to the a bigger point, I think, where we are talking about the supply and demand and the fact that so much is coming uh, into our country, other, I mean, just everywhere, as you said, this, this isn't just a particular area where, you know, we see what it's doing here in the Bay Area, but this is happening all over. Um, on the political front, you know, recently we had the, the APEC uh, the conference was in San Francisco uh, late last year, and you had the United States and China saying they want to work together to stop the flow of fentanyl. 
Uh, there's also, you know, coming together to say the same for the United States and Mexico. Um, is this considered a first step too late? Well, of course, this is something they should have been doing sooner. Um, uh, I mean, I guess I applaud the uh, the public nature of this commitment and so on. I think that's a good, it can only be a, a good thing, really. I want to see what then comes of, of it. I, I have, I don't know the the Chinese government all that well, but I did live in Mexico for 10 years and I follow Mexico fairly closely still. And my feeling is that there's not much commitment uh, from Mexico on this topic uh, at all. On the contrary, there's all kinds of uh, hiding the head in the sand. Both countries have its their their part to, uh, to their cross to bear their 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 the, the blame that they need to shoulder in all in all of this. But it's clear that Mexico um, is not doing uh, what it needs to do to make sure that the chemicals coming into the country are are legitimate and they're headed to legitimate sources and and, and all that all that kind of stuff. And so. Uh, um, I, I, my feeling is that good, glad that happened, but, um, and I'm waiting to see ex what exactly, what concrete measures are, are, are adopted by, by all countries. One of the things that absolutely needs to happen in my opinion is, uh, and one thing that allows for the impunity, uh, down in Mexico to exist among these traffickers, to be able to make whatever they want as long all year all year round is the the sale of assault weapons here in the United States. Those weapons, many of them, are uh, smuggled south to Mexico uh, in small quantities. It's not like um, truckloads of guns. It's always like car cars, if five or ten guns at a time, but they make a huge difference over the over over months and months and months. And um, and these are going to uh, frequently to traffickers uh, to in uh, to in, ensure their impunity. And and so the price of meth is almost like the flip side of the ease with which these guns are purchased in, in the United States. The lower it gets, the more, the easier those guns are, are must be to buy, that kind of thing. That's kind of how I think about it now. Well, and, you know, we can look to how governments respond both on a, on a major level, on a global level, and then even, you know, within the state and how Politicians will say what they say, and you can hope something good comes out of what they're saying and and commitments, as you said, that they make. Um, but it, you know, this is really a tale of what this is doing to communities of people. Yeah. And I think a lot about what communities try to do to combat crises when they occur. And so, what what have you seen as a response from communities who are dealing with these drugs like fentanyl, like meth? And what yeah. they what they're doing to people, and you know what what do you think are methods that they can take on to yeah. to help themselves, basically? Well, I think I think I, one of the things that's created the the fentanyl problem, in my opinion, uh, having done so much research on this and interviewing on this, is that um, this begins to happen goes nationwide, just as a lot of of communities are decriminalizing. Uh, the sale, at least, of of, of fentanyl. I think that's um, a, a very misguided idea. It's shown itself to be very misguided. Uh, selling anything containing fentanyl, and everything contains fentanyl now, um, is tantamount to firing a gun into a crowd. It's like you know you're going to hurt somebody, and it's likely you're going to kill somebody. That's a known fact. Um, I don't believe 
that it is uh, a wise move. And I do believe that we need to make greater use of law enforcement in a variety of ways. Uh, people say, well, that's a continuation of the drug war. And I say, no, the drug war was, uh, to the extent it had problems, it was because not because we use law enforcement, it's because we only use law enforcement. And that's a really important distinction. We need a, a variety of, 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 uh, of actors, of, uh, of, of service, of, of all, and so you're, but law enforcement has to be a part of it in many ways. Interdiction, absolutely. Absolutely creating consequences for selling something as deadly as fentanyl. I don't see how you can actually argue with that, honestly. But I also believe that one of the, place, one of the places I, I think we're seeing some very interesting work is in the rethinking of jail when it comes to these two drugs. The main problem that people have is that they cannot get away from these drugs on the street. You, um, what we need is a place where people can go where they cannot leave when the dope tells them that they must. And jail has become that place in many counties. What's happening in many counties, I think is very interesting is to, to watch, is that they are rethinking how jail is done. So parts of those jails are now recovery pods. Essentially, the exact same services you would get if you were outside on the street in a in a treatment center, with uh, any meetings and classes and parent, you know, anger management and physical exercise and all the rest. You're doing all of that, except for that in jail you can't leave when the drugs tell you you must, and that is a huge thing. It is not compassionate. It's somehow been misconstrued as compassion to leave people on the street. I do not see how that is at all possible to think, you know? So I think that we need to rethink a lot. We were, we were applying right now ideas that originated before the pervasive spread of fentanyl and methamphetamine to a brand new situation in which those ideas at best are, are marginally applicable and at worst simply have no uh, relevance whatsoever. And, and I think that that's kind of what, what's, what's going on. I think you see this in San Francisco, certainly see it in L.A., where I'm from. You know, it's just crazy some of the stuff that people think is okay to get to, to do with fentanyl out there. And, and, and so I'm, I'm looking to places that are rethinking almost everything because, as I said, you know, fentanyl changes everything. And I think that's true for so many parts of the country now. So would you say then that there's, there's a space that can be created in dealing with this particular crisis where there can be a different level of of punishment in particular for those who are dealing the drugs and also a, an opportunity to have have a space that's safe and secure for someone who is addicted yeah and it incorporates all the things that can help them that is happening Okay. That is yeah. happening. Exactly. That's going on right now. That is that is what these jails are are doing. People say, you know, well, there's drugs in jail. Yeah, there are drugs in jail, just not in these pods. The reason is that people opt in and then they stay and then they become kind of cultured in the new environment that's not of the street. There's this definite movement away from from the attitudes of the street, conniving, getting over lying, et cetera, et cetera. It's all very connected to addiction and so on. And now in this, in these pods, there are no weapons, there's no drugs. Um, you know, and so you get these, you get, the, you're getting these experiments. The other thing about these, these uh, jail experiments that I think are interesting, one, one that I wrote about at great length in The Least of Us, um, 
uh, is that it doesn't stop in jail. And that's very, very important as well. The services start with your arrest. With that arrest, then you begin to detox. You, you, you spend significant months probably in this recovery center that you opt into where you're around people in recovery. You're getting your brain back. You're getting a blessed respite from the dope. But then after that, there's a lot of attention paid to what happens to you when you get out. And that is a radical idea for most jails as well. When did you ever think of a, an American jail thinking about what, what happened to this guy when he leaves our, 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 our gates, right? Uh, but that's going on now. And so there's all kinds of, there's, uh, you know, signing people up for Medicaid. So they get drug treatment on the outside, medically assisted treatment. You're getting job placement, uh, uh, housing, uh, 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 NA and AA meetings, all these things. So it's a, 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 a continuum of care, very much what, like what you get for say, you know, heart attack like I got, or cancer, or whatever. You you get a continuum care that does not just leave, give put a stent in you and get, say adios, you're on your way. It's no, no. Let's let where there's some things that you need to do, and we'll be, help you do them. That's what what's happening out of these jails. It's not throw you in jail and leave you. This has been a, a fascinating conversation. I want to thank you so much for for joining me on In Depth. Mary, it's great to talk with you. Thank you for such thoughtful questions. find this episode and past episodes of In-Depth online at kcbsradio.com. You can also hear the episodes on the Odyssey app. Download the app on your smartphone and favorite KCBS radio. For listening for Key CBS and In Depth, I'm Mary Hughes. You've been listening to KCBS In Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas... Phoenix, and Rhode Island. Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. 
Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.